From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. Sex and intimacy can be difficult for many women after a breast cancer diagnosis. You may feel your body has betrayed you. And after treatment, you may feel detached or disconnected from the pleasure your body once gave you. Body image issues may also affect how you view your sexuality and some side effects of breast cancer treatment can impact your sex life. Here today to discuss her breast cancer experience and to share some tips and insight about this very real survivorship topic is Shangri-La Jones. Shangri-La, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much. Well, thanks for coming on and thanks for discussing a topic that, you know, may be difficult for some people to discuss. We're going to talk through it. It's going to be great. But let's start off with your breast cancer story. What can you tell us about your diagnosis, your treatment and what was happening in your life around that time? Gosh, so my story is very interesting. Um, I wanted to offer free mammograms within our community to, uh, to the underserved community. So I made a connection with Denver Health and had them to bring out the mammogram bus. And we were there during the event and they stated to me, well, why don't you show people how it's done and get a, a breast exam so you can start off and ask an example. And I was a little hesitant because I had just had my physical that year. I was healthy, exercising, taking vitamins. I'm like, okay, I have nothing to worry about. And then a week later, I received a call and it was not good news. They told me that they found several lumps in my breast and I needed to have surgery immediately. I was taken aback. I didn't believe it. As How could that happen to me? I watch what I eat. I exercise. What's going on here? So I contacted my primary care physician, got a second opinion, and they all concurred. Everyone agreed across the board that I needed to have surgery. So Denver Health worked with CU Health and they partnered to make my experience one of the greatest. Although I received disappointing news, they made it a simple process. They assigned me a patient advocate. And the good news is, is that they caught it early enough so they could treat me. And so it wouldn't end in a death sentence. So I was very mm. happy. But the tra- treatment was a lengthy treatment. And I'm here today because of those early detection programs. So. Wow. I mean, that's, that's really, I mean, kind of amazing, you know, that you were doing this for the community and it, and it turned out to benefit you right. in that process. Um, that's, that's fantastic. And so I'm excited to talk to you today about a topic that, that we don't talk about a lot, but it's really important. Uh, in your experience, what can you tell our listeners about the impact of breast cancer on intimacy and on your sex life? It had a a large and huge impact because when you go through treatment, it has an adverse effect on your metabolism. Your libido goes down the hill. It's depression. It's mental, physical, and spiritually emotional. And for me personally, it was body image because I had a lot of scoring afterwards one of my breasts was slightly larger than the other at that time particular time i put on weight because i really didn't care anymore i was in that mode of depression and it was not a good look i didn't even want to take my clothes off to go shower 
So I was mm-hmm. very insecure about that. So I kind of worked alongside my primary care physician and did a couple of other things to get back. But it does have a vast impact on you mentally because you're not the same person. And you can mm-hmm. also suffer from vaginal dryness, which I did, and a whole lineage of things that can make sex unpleasurable. So you're not in the mood to have sex and you don't want to have sex because of the adverse impact. And that's my personal experience. So, mm. And so like what what were some, so you mentioned the physical difficulties. There's, there's the the physical hurdles. There's the mental hurdles. What were some of the things that you did to start to begin to overcome those things? Well, I took baby steps. So, and it, and it depends if you want to jump back in. Some people try to do that and sometimes it doesn't work out. But my master plan was to take baby steps to start with simplistic things such as hugging, kissing, cuddling, and also sex toys and role-playing plays a part. Because what most people don't understand is that sex is not just about the sex piece. It's also about the intimacy. So if you take those baby steps and build up, for me, it was a better outcome. And some of the other things that for vaginal dryness, you have Vagisil. Um, That's an excellent product that you can purchase in any store, Walmart, Targets, anywhere and get it and works great. Another thing I spoke with my doctor and gynecologist about was the vaginal rejuvenation. And that's where they actually take a laser and they go in and kind of massage the walls. Now that does work, but it's a little pricey. I think one session is about $720, but it's in your, mm-hmm. if it's in your budget, it's a good thing. If not, and that's some of the other things we have to work with as survivors mm-hmm. is to Uh, see if we can get more assistance when it comes to those out-of-pocket costs. And also was just making a vision board. How do I visualize myself? How do I get on track? What are some of the things that I used to do? And what are some of the things that I'm not doing now? One of them was exercising. My primary care physician he came in with a dietitian, and they put me on the road to recovery in that regard. I started back taking my vitamins and start moving back into society. Massage is another way. Start massage regimens with your partner so they can get to know your body again and you're getting to know their body as well. And one last thing that I liked was yoga because yoga gets you to stretch those muscles that you haven't used in a while or you may feel insecure about and it gets you back into your groove and your motion. So those are some of the things that I use. But Bottom line, always speak with your primary care physician or your patient advocate to get more details. But that's some of the conversations that we had that helped me out a lot and some of the things that I did on my own. So. And, so, and I feel like, and that was that was great, by the way, like j- just how you walk through all of those sort of baby steps was really helpful. Could you also walk through some baby steps around the mental side of it? Any advice you could share related to that? With the mental side of it, that is something where you have to come to grips as to where you are in your life. Because I was in denial. It it was a simple case of 
I can go out and do this. No, you can't do do those things anymore. You're you're in treatment. Your 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 hair is falling out. Uh, you're exhausted all the time. You have to recognize where you are and live in a reality mode. Also, you want to go back to speaking to your primary care physician and your gynecologist and patient advocate. Another thing that they offered after my treatment was group therapy where we all come together as survivors or people within the process and we talk about how we feel, what we're going through. And since I was still trying to live my life prior to, they told me, you're you're doing too much. You need to learn to say the word no, because you're exhausted. Hmm. You're in a lot of pain. And, And my pain was excruciating. And that added to my mental capacity. It was just just as much as I could do to even make it to the bathroom by myself. That's how, and it, and it lasted for over a year, well over a year. Mm. But yet I was still trying to be on this committee, work with this organization, and I had to start to say no and let people know that it's not about you, it's about me. I make no apologies for telling you no. I make no apologies for taking my life back. This is something that I need to do for me. And hmm. yes, I have to tell you no at this point in time, because I'm not the same Shangri-La, I'm a different person now. So I need hmm. to get my energy back and going to those group counseling sessions and doing that one-on-one. And then also talking to my family and closest friends really helped me out a lot. And then learning one word and that's no. So, hmm. so I, maybe we could dig just a, a bit into, into what you said. You said, I'm, I'm not the same Shangri-La, I'm a new person now. I'm a, I'm a different. And so does that, does that shift in thinking, is that really what helped you sort of reset some of those old habits? And is that what helped you to sort of reset and say, no, I'm not going to do that. The old one would have, the old Shangri-La would have done that. And that's great. The new one won't and can't. And so is that is that kind of how that worked for you? It did, because it's just being honest, because I wasn't being honest with myself and I wasn't being honest with other um, just mm-hmm. to paint the, the picture. I, ha- I have my career and I had to put that on hold because I had to take a month or so, well over t- almost two months off of work and put that to the side. But I also was president of a lot of organization and did a lot of community service work and working with the underserved. So my plate was full and then also trying to balance family and a relationship. Very hard things to do. And I was still thinking that I could work out five days a week. I could serve on all these committees I could do. And I was simply exhausted. And I was not doing myself a favor because the patient advocate and my primary care, they're trying to move me along to help me heal mentally and physically. But I kept getting setbacks. Mm. And when I'm in, in, in the sister circle is what I called it. And what's any, any one guy, guys as well, but it was, it was women, this particular case. And we were talking, we feel like we have to carry everyone on our shoulders, but who's there for us. And so that's when I made the vision board and saw where I really was. I don't have the Mm. energy to do all of this anymore. So something has to take a sideline. And that's where the word no came into place because I was living a false reality. And I think that's something that when you are a survivor, you don't feel that automatically. You, you're that same person. You look in the mirror, minus your, your, your scars and other things going on. 
but you're not. You're, you're not the same person. You need to be honest with yourself and honest with the people around you and ask for help and say, listen, I can't do this by myself. I can't do this. It's no, it is not personal, but I need to, to heal. I need to heal mentally and physically. Wow. Wow. That's, that's profound. Um, so, so really just last question, uh, and this is just so great. I really appreciate all the, all the wisdom you're sharing with us here. Um, what advice would you give our listeners about how to communicate sexual concerns with their healthcare team and with their partners? Now, see, that's a hard one. Now, when it comes to your primary care physician and your gynecologist and patient advocate, that's very easy because I had a one-on-one with them and there, there was no judgment. Now, with the partners, what I, I've, I've noticed, because I also uh, have a really close friend that's a survivor as well. And that's another segment where she was diagnosed uh, in, in 2015. I held her hand and then I was diagnosed in 2018. The irony behind all of that. But being married versus dating, if, you, if you're in a relationship and marriage, it's, it's a little bit different. I, and to me, I would think it's easier. But when you're dating and, and you have that partner, one of the things that I did was, hey, come along with me. Your patient advocate is there to advocate for you, even in your relationship. And they will help you along the way. But one of the things that I did since um, I was dating, I was like, well, this is your out. And I know that sounds strange. You give me a Well, that's a lot to take on. You're dating someone and then they get this diagnosis and I'm letting you know this is what's going to happen. Your patient advocate, they're going to run it down. This is what the mm-hmm. surgery is going to look like. This is how she's going to feel afterwards, the potential. And this is what's going on. So I think it's with that being said, I think it's very important to get them involved in the beginning mm-hmm. and let them hear what's going on and have conversations with them down, down the road. And when it comes to the sex, you just have to be honest. And that's a hard part because as women, we want to be pretty all the time. We want to be exciting. We want to be sexy. We want to be sultry. We want to be all these things. But if I'm not in the mood and I don't feel that way, that comes from the outside, from the inside out, not the outside in. I can put on all the makeup and do my hair. But if I'm not feeling it because the scars, I'm not feeling it because I'm in pain. I'm not feeling it because I'm not, I'm depressed. Then that needs to be shared. And, and it's just honesty. Uh, for me, that was the hardest part because you don't want people to see your insecurities. You don't want people to feel, see you uh, not being yourself and being in that mode. I'm happy. No. And so, and that's the thing, just being honest. Hey, this is, this yeah. is me without the makeup. This is me without the lashes. This is me without the curl hair. Uh, I'm suffering here and I need you to come along with the ride. I promise you the ride will get better, but just, just, just hang in there with me. So. And, and so, I mean, and what I think I'm hearing you say too, and, and I just want to make sure I, we, I've got it I, that I understand is that essentially with your part, with a partner, if you sort of set the stage and you set the expectations, you explain the physical struggle and you explain the mental struggle up front, then it makes those com- those in in the moment conversations a little less difficult, right? It, it, it does because if you wait to the back end and try to pull them in, they need to take the journey with you. Um, when you when you first start, they give you all the information, you're asking questions, you're shell shocked. 
So if you have someone there that's willing to take the ride with you and spirits the journey, then they can go through through it with you. They can hold your hand and understand. And one of the things about it, women are not the only uh, people that get breast cancer. So it's men as well. So uh, having an understanding. So maybe they can help someone in their family and in their community to survive this as well. And they understand what we're going through as well. And take them to your counseling sessions as well. Give them an opportunity to speak. And maybe some things that they haven't told you that they want to say, and that gives them an opportunity to do so. So, Yeah, absolutely. Well, Shangri-La, this has been amazing. Uh, I love your your attitude, your approach, your passion for community and, and really for dealing with this topic is really profound. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you. And thank you for having me. You have a wonderful day. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.komen.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com.